Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? First off, I can tell how badly you want to say Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I can tell. I can hear it in your voice. Not at all. Ready to come out, but doesn't matter because today is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat sports fan. Indeed, it is. Hummer, before we get into things here, let me do some housekeeping. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, check us out on Twitter. Follow us along at Cincy Slangin. You can also find us on Instagram. Hummer, you have done a great job getting a Facebook page launched, uh, by all accounts. I don't know firsthand, but uh, supposedly you're doing a great job with a Facebook page. You could find that at facebook.com slash Cincy Slangin pod. Also, as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, go to iTunes, five stars, leave a review, let people know that you're enjoying the podcast, uh, let people know where to find a fun fan oriented Cincinnati Bearcat sports podcast. We're enjoying doing it. And by you leaving those five star reviews, it certainly helps us out. Uh, the interesting part about the Facebook page is today you were someone attempted to tag you in it, and it just it just comes up with you know just a normal coomer, no blue coomer, a true rebel I am, uh, not on the Facebook.com as they once called it, but but alas, uh, I imagine good and and productive things are happening on that platform. So if you enjoy it, go head over to that Cincy Slang and Pod page, give us a like. Uh, I think you even see tonight. Hummer is broadcasting this live. We're going to start doing this on Sundays more regularly. Last night we got, uh, we, we took a night off, Hummer. Look, there wasn't a lot going on. A couple games canceled with the Bearcats basketball team. Obviously, we're in, we're in off-season mode with the football team. And it is a good thing that we waited one night uh, because it wasn't officially announced yet. But Pete Thamel of Sports Illustrated is reporting that the next defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bearcats football team is going to be one Mike Tressel. Your initial thoughts. Welcome home. Welcome back to the University of Cincinnati. Uh, you know, frankly, we talked a little bit about him last week. There's, I don't want to say there's not a lot to know about him. He's, he's, he's been doing this. He's been doing the football thing for a long time. Uh, starting in 1996, obviously was here with Cincinnati under Dan Antonio's staff, 2004, 2006, was one of the plethora of assistants that left. Um, I don't see it as a bad thing. Look, any defensive coordinator coming in to the, with this team, with this football squad, you know, they have big shoes to fill. We know that right off the bat. And he is going to have every single tool at his disposal to succeed because of the, the team that we're bringing back. You know, so well, I welcome him. I hope he's up to the challenge. You know, Luke Fickle seems to have a really good grasp on the program. So in Luke, we trust. Uh, I'm not worried. I'm not nervous. And I'm going to let's let him get. Let's see what he can do. Yeah, I think there's not much else to say besides that, frankly. So you kind of hit it. You hit on it. He was the linebackers special teams coach at UC from 2004 to 2006. He was the co-defensive coordinator at Michigan State from 2015 to 2017. Uh, during that time, Michigan State was regularly in the top 10 in terms of total rush defense. Uh, you know, the years of 2011, 12, 13, 14, 17, 18. You know, only recently have we seen Michigan State absolutely fall off a cliff. Um, I would say it started with the ugly divorce from Mike D'Antonio. Uh, the awkward timing, the fact that he wanted to have input in the next hire, the fact that many thought Luke Fickle would be taking that job at Michigan State last year, and he spurned them. And it was the uh, a historical moment for the University of Cincinnati Bearcats football program. So while that may have stimulated the success and, and uh, excitement to be that was for the University of Cincinnati program, that was simultaneously the moment that the Michigan State program uh, fell into a bit of disarray. I mean, we'll see what happens. They had a pretty rough year last season. Uh, their fan base is probably certainly uh, disappointed to see that not only they, can they not steal our coaches, but the Bearcats are doing a returning favor at this point in, in, in taking Mike Tressel from their program. 
He was actually the sole defensive coordinator in 2018-19 season. Last season, uh, you saw him coaching, I think it was their linebackers group. So we'll find out more about him and what Luke Fickle envisions for Trestle here in the coming days if the Bearcats make it official. But I think the most important thing you said is the fact that Luke Fickle is the one making this hire. And when it comes to the Bearcats football program, everything he has touched, frankly, has turned to gold so far for us. I can't think of too many missteps when it came to Luke Fickle. We have seen him now uh, took a chance on Marcus Freeman uh, back in 2016, very young defensive coordinator, not a ton of experience in that role. And it worked out in spades. He is now the defensive coordinator for the Notre Dame Irish. Uh, You see Mike Dembrock, you know, much, um, much, much made about maybe his deficiencies and play calling, but he is now being groomed for other jobs in the Southeastern conference, be it Vanderbilt. Um, he hired Dan Enos as a running back coach. He has moved on to becoming an offensive coordinator uh, with Maryland. So all I'm saying is fickle has done a good job building his staff. We have obviously seen that staff have success, not only on the field, but with recruiting. And so until further notice, we should be putting trust in the decisions Luke Fickle is making for the Bearcats football program. I mean, how are, how is Bearcat Nation? How is Twitter just not roasting, you know, Michigan State University unable to keep even their their lowly coordinators from coming to you know a lowly Group of Five program? It's just it's a shame, you know. They can't bag our coach, but we can bag theirs, you know. So <laughs> all good vibes coming to the Bearcats program. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, it wasn't necessarily a unanimous reaction by any means, though, from the fan base. It seems like there's a lot of folks who are concerned about how Trestle may have left the program back in 2006. And it's all very anecdotal about sitting around and maybe celebrating too hard that Mike, Mike D'Antonio, sorry, Mike D'Antoni, Mark. Mark, I'm thinking of the basketball coach. Uh, the fa- Dan Antonio. <laughs> I'll save you there. Uh, thank you. But the fact that he that they apparently got too excited walking out the door, I all I'll say is this. That's a really long time ago. We've been through Brian Kelly since then. We've been through Butch Jones since then. We have been through He Who Shall Not Be Named since then. And now we're on to uh, the most successful administration thus far in Cincinnati Bearcats football history in Luke Fickle, uh, who is bringing back a loaded roster. Trestle is going to be, if, if this becomes official, will be stepping into a role where he is expected to deliver a top 10, top five defense nationally. I mean, there's, there's a really high bar for him. So we're going to get to measure his success quickly because of the type of talent Cincinnati is bringing back. That's exciting. That's good. Uh, but until further notice, look, I'm going to trust Luke Fickle. He's going to bring on the guys that he knows can get the job done. And then we'll hold him accountable to those results. Once we see what Trestle brings forth on the field. Yeah, and I think I'll I don't want to like trample expectations too too much, but I would say his expectation is in our conference easily best defense in the conference. Nationally, I think top 15 is is an, is an expectation that's that's realistic in my opinion to, to hold him to and I still think that's going to be enough to get the job done in terms of uh maybe I don't know, getting the corruption of the the college playoff to committee to take a look at us um, considering the fact that you know we're as high as number six in some some uh, outlets way too early preseason poll sports illustrators had us at number six i want to say the athletic had us right around number eight but you know what i figured out i figured out who leads the corruption chart i, I know who is the shadow government of the corrupt football playoff rankings and that is espn you go ESPN. through ESPN, all of their analysts, all of their guys always come out and this even this year, blah, blah, blah. They're going to get spanked by Georgia. Would you put your money against them on Georgia? By the way, we covered the spread. I just want to do, do throw that out there. So if you bet against us on the spread, we, we sorely disappointed you. So we, we took care of business in terms of, of betting for that game. Uh, but they were they just talk nothing but crap. And then they come and give us the lowest way too early preseason ranking at number 11. That's interesting. I definitely think ESPN is is guilty in large part of uh, driving the false narrative of blue blood programs across the country. Like, I definitely think they are shilling hard for the SEC. They are shilling hard for the teams that have the big names and the big brands. So 
hey, I kind of like it. Like the root, you're doing a root cause analysis, and it's it's taking you right back to Kirk Herb Street, to David Pollock, uh, to Chris Herb <laughs> <Curb> Street. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll direct all anger and fury at ESPN henceforth. Um, you know, I, I have seen a lot of the polls, and yeah, they did come in eleven. I'm not going to get too upset, right? Like, I, if you go outside the top 15, it's... Would you be... Yeah, tell me you're upset about getting, you know, top 15 preseason ranking in a non... What's supposedly going to be a non-COVID season, so there's no excuse not to have USC ahead of us at this point in the way too early rankings. I look at it like this. The team finished in the top 10, I think unanimously, at the end of the season. So they finished, like, number eight in a lot of final... In the final poll, um, eight people at least... And when you consider how much talent they're bringing back, the starting quarterback is back. The head coach is back. Uh, a ton of all of our skill positions basically are back. You know, we're replacing Dokes with Ford, which is going to be an upgrade in some ways. Uh, maybe, maybe not always, but in, in, in some ways, more explosiveness out of our backfield in that case. And then defensively, all, all, an All-American secondary in, in Ahmad Gardner is back. Uh, Cody, Kobe Bryant back the defensive front back. I mean, there's, there's I, a lot I, to hang I, your hat I, on. I, Ford, I do. Actually, I, I'll interrupt you there and say, I actually expect Ford to have a, you hate the word breakout season, but I think he's going to be better than Dokes. I think he's just, he's a more athletic back. He's clearly one of the fastest people on a feet on a football field when when he's running. So, I mean, our job next year is getting him some open space to run the ball. That's going to be, I think the job of whoever is at the helm on offensive coordinator is to find ways to get forward the ball, whether it's, you know, flat running flat routes out. You get a guy, you got to get him space. You got to get him to that first, be able to make that first move and break, break past him to that secondary. He's going to be unstoppable. You're going to, they're going to have to do a really good job of mixing him and and Ritter up because we see what happens when Ritter doesn't get his legs moving as well. And I don't think that's going to change next season either. If we see games where Ritter isn't running the ball, you know, 15, 16 times, we're going to see stagnant, stagnant offense like we did this year. Yeah. I mean, the only real reason, the big, the biggest concerns that I think we talked about last week were the fact that we did lose both of our starting tackles. So James Hudson off to the NFL, uh, Darius Harper off to the NFL so when it comes to pass blocking, how what does it look like? It looked terrible against Georgia. So how much will you know Notre Dame, Indiana, the American Athletic Conference punish us for having to kind of retool that offensive line somewhat? I do think the interior still looks good, bringing back a lot of talent. Running game should be on point. All I'm saying is that there's not much of a case to drop us down in the rankings preseason beyond, hey, it's the University of Cincinnati. Well, let's make sure we start them at a little lower than the talent probably probably deserves um no one in our conference is going to punish us no. we will be the punishers next year okay that's 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 preposterous <laughs> true that well look i want to get into some of the other news about bearcats basketball in particular hummer uh, before we do however i'd like you to take some time uh, to pay homage to our sponsor this month Ooh, paying homage Founded in 2007, Homage turns back the clock with shout-outs to eclectic moments and personalities in sports, music, and popular culture. From Billie Jean King to Larry Bird, Homage tells stories of triumph, individualism, and hustle, preserving the old school and creating new legacies. Pay homage at www.homage.com. Now, Coomer, some of my favorites, I think I've talked about them in the past, you know, the, that go-to collection, I actually have a nice red soft hoodie on its way to me as we speak. I'm also pumped because my wife was actually joking around and said she wanted something. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. I got her also a matching hoodie. So we are going to be Team Hummer in some red hoodies. Uh, not only that, I also saw that some, we had some, my, my family purchased some of the little adorable baby onesies. I'm obsessed with them. I love baby onesies. The other thing that I have been just saying, it is fire. Welcome to NBA Jam. Go check out the NBA collection because right now the Bearcats haven't played basketball in two weeks. So go look up some great NBA gear, turn on some of these games, 
I don't know. We just had James Harden traded to the Rockets. I'm sure they have a uh, James Harden NBA Jam shirt. Go Trade grab it to the stuff. Nets. Trade it to the Nets. Trade Let's to get the it Nets. right. <laughs> James Trade Harden's down in Brooklyn. And look, I know a lot of folks who listen to the podcast. We've got a lot of Cleveland Browns Browns fans out there, and I know you took a tough loss against Kansas City this week. But let's celebrate the greatest year in Cleveland football history. Um, or maybe let's, what do, you, what do you want to call it? 30 years? I'm not a Cleveland Browns historian, but Homage does have lots of great Cleveland Browns gear. Check it out. Uh, I, I'm blown away. I'm really proud to call to have them as a sponsor. Uh, I think there's actually real value being brought to the table here. Full transparency as a podcast. We're not going to just bring on any old sponsor. We want to make sure it's someone that we're proud to be representing, proud to be partnering with. And homage.com certainly represents that. And don't forget to shop online at www.homage.com and in six stores across Ohio, including their Over the Rhine Vine Street location right here in Cincinnati. Just drop the word slang in at checkout and you will still get your 21% off discount off everything. So for us, Homage has created an exclusive offer to kick off 2021 for Cincy Slang and listeners beginning January 4th, running through February 3rd. Get 21% off the entire site when you enter the code SLANGIN at checkout. So go to www.homage.com, that's H-O-M-A-G-E.com. And don't forget to enter code SLANGIN at checkout for 21% off your entire order and pay some homage. One last note, Hummer, and I, I do want to mention this, is that the in-store inventory downtown Cincinnati is popping, it is full, it is robust, and if you decide to go shop in person and say hi to the guys in the downtown Vine Street location, if you say slang in at checkout and tell them that the boys from the Cincy Slangin' Podcast sent you, it's going to help us, but it's also going to help you get 21% off your order. So please, check out homage.com. Thanks. All right, Hummer. And now we're back. <laughs> <laughs> we're back. <laughs> Let's get into some of the uh, recent news in Bearcats basketball. And I'd say the news is is rather gloomy in the fact that the most recent two games that were on the Bearcats schedule, both were canceled. Uh, the Bearcats matchup against East Carolina that was supposed to be played last Wednesday was canceled. After that... Uh, it was the two-lane game on the schedule for Saturday. That game was canceled as well. And the news about this coming week with regard to the Wednesday game um, up coming up against, I believe it was Temple, that is TBD. So Bearcats clearly in COVID protocols. Mostly, we, You're not going to get any information with regard to who's infected and what's going on and how many Bearcats players and or staff have been infected with COVID-19. It's... All, all we want to do and all we want to send in terms of uh, the energy we're, we're sending to our Bearcats basketball team is, for one, getting everyone healthy. And I think that's first and foremost. Obviously, it's been a disappointing season from a record standpoint, but there's I can't speak highly enough of how much it means to me to be watching Bearcats basketball, how, how appreciative I am of what the players and coaches are sacrificing this season and how funky and weird and probably uncomfortable in large part this season is for everybody. Um, so in order to see more Bearcats basketball this year, we need the team to get healthy and it is very much to be determined, um, how much longer we're going to be waiting until we see the Bearcats back on the court. Yeah. And it was equally kind of disappointing with those two games canceled and you know, I can't, we, you said it perfectly. So I'm not going to add to, to the thanking the players and the coaches there, but, uh, we did miss out an opportunity to get ourselves out of what is, in my opinion, an embarrassing situation that the Bearcats find themselves in, which is in dead last in the conference. Um, having the opportunity to play East Carolina and Tulane could have gotten us two more victories to at least put us up there uh, with actually probably being ahead. Uh, I won't say being ahead, but we would at least have three wins in the conference <laughs> right behind fourth place or right, right ahead, right behind where everyone say SMU. Uh, we would have played more games at that point, though, than them. It's disappointing to go from first in the conference to sitting us see us sitting last in the conference. It's, you know, the more I had, I had a week to sit there and think about it. And the more I started getting a little worried that I know we're talking about basically our, what do you want to say, prognosis, our, our best chance at getting the tournament is winning 
our conference tournament. It feels like our only chance. So that, that's, that's our only chance. Um, I, hope is kind of slowly fading because we, we've been saying we need to see improvement. Grant, we haven't had a lot of chance to see that improvement, but I don't think we're seeing it in leaps and bounds um, from in terms of, you know, the energy that they brought to the, to the court the last couple of games. Um, what is, what is, what is your thought on this? Well, you are putting to the test uh, the idea and concept that time heals all wounds. As we've been away from Bearcats basketball now for over a week, I would assume that you would have found a way to see the positive and find the the silver linings in what has been a, a slow and disappointing start to the season. But apparently you've gone darker and gloomier and more sad. And it sounds like it mostly has to do with the fact that you see the Bearcats at the very bottom of the American athletic standings. I will say this, when you consider the fact that we really, we haven't caught very many good breaks this season. You know, I, I know that there's, there's qualms we have with the lineup decisions John Brandon was making early in the season. Um, obviously there's certain players on the team that we expected more of this season that just simply haven't been delivering to, to their standard. The fact that John Brandon and the Bearcats are coming up and we're coming up on probably their easiest three game stretch of the season thus far um, in East Carolina, Tulane and temple. And, and by no means am I guaranteeing a three and a stretch there, but in a three and a stretch was possible. You know, this was competition and games that, that the Bearcats could have won and could have gotten some momentum going. And rather than building upon, um, you know, the new lineups and, you know, run playing more around, Jeremiah Davenport and Tari Eason in the front court, rather than building some momentum up as we headed into our, um, you know, most anticipated matchup at Houston on Saturday, the Bearcats instead got to build no momentum and are coming, are going to be coming off a long hiatus, a, a hiatus that likely features very little practice that features very little on court time that features very little time spent improving the obvious weakness of weaknesses of the team and taking care of the ball and not fouling and getting better on the boards. You know, it's not ideal. It's, it's another tough break and what's been a, a nothing but a tough, tough season for the Bearcats. And uh, yeah, I'm feeling like you, you know, it's, it's pretty, it, it's just unique, right? Like I actually think I've overreacted in some ways because I'm so, I'm so this whole, this feeling of losing and, and being at the bottom of the standings is incredibly foreign to me makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel angry. It makes me feel disappointed. It makes me feel a, a lot of ways, but honestly, I'm not, I'm not coming out of it as doom and gloom, but I am disappointed for the team that they weren't able to use this stretch of games as a, as kind of a launching pad for a successful second half of the season. Yeah. I, I guess the other thing that's, I guess going to start irritating me even more is that, you know, rarely do we lose any home games in a season, but this is a season that could feature multiple losses on our home court. Are you, really, know, are you really uh, thinking of them as home games? They're not home yeah. games. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they are. It has our paw print on it. There's, there's still some. Uh, it's all about the pride. I know there's no crowd. There's right. no one to. There's no one to rattle Temple in the final seconds of the game to allow Trey Scott to slam home a beautiful game-winning bucket. I get it, but. No, it's just it's it's getting disappointing too because, like the way we left off this this what would have been this stretch, the the just the 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 collapse of the team late in the game against Wichita State, another team that you know, by all accounts is is way overachieving their expectations for this season, uh, but then also just like going back to, you know, you mentioned made brief mention last week of your 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 conversation, your one-way conversation with John Brandon. And you technically you would, two way. I got an answer. I got an answer. There was, just, there was no an back answer. and forth. There was a back and a back call and response. Call in response to John Brandon. And your question was essentially asking, you know, Mama do over Chris vote. Uh, eh, you're kind of simplifying it, but essentially I just, I asked about, uh, what his philosophy was with regard to when to deploy Chris vote versus when to deploy Mamadou. Okay, fine. I'll give you credit. That's what, that's what my question was. The one question, I paraphrased it. It was a two, <laughs> two part question though. And I did ask him, 
Um, how are we going to get Mamadou to let that thing fly a little bit more? Meaning his three-pointers. You know, he, he didn't shoot many last year, but when he shot them, they went in. And so far this season, Mamadou has shot one three-pointer. And John Brandon did not indulge me on that part of the question. But continue. Chris Vote versus Mamadou Diara. What did you hear? Basically, what I kind of heard was is that we're going to continue to go with Chris Vote. That when Chris Vote's on the floor, that the goal is to run the offense through Chris Vote. That no matter what happens, we are just destined to see mind-boggling, crushingly slow, ineffective offense when when we have Chris Vote out there as a combo because of the we're not trying to use Chris Vote like a college big man. We're trying to use him almost more like an NBA big man, a la Joel, Joel Embiid. You know, they run a Sixers run a lot of the offense through him. And it's successful, but Chris Vogt doesn't have that skill set. He's a guy, kid that needs, as we've called out multiple times, he needs to get his points. He needs to eat by rebounding. Boxing out, rebound, grab it, throw it back up. Dunking the ball should be, that's why he should have the highest uh, effective field goal percentage on the team is because he dunks the ball. His range is three feet. That is the range, and it does not involve putting the ball on the floor when you catch it. So it's it's very disconcerting when you hear that that's what John Brandon wants to continue to go back to. And that's what we've been talking about all season. Every fan, everybody keeps saying we need to go, go, you know, go the opposite way. And it's like, it gets frustrating after a while that you're seeing him want to zone in on this one thing that we all see is that that's the, that's the problem. That's the issue. Not the only issue. One of the big issues. Yes. And, and the question I asked was very intentional because we've talked about it a lot on the podcast. I just wanted to get a chance to hear it from himself. Um, what the philosophy was, because look, this question is less pertinent to the team now than it was three games ago, because he did change his rotation. Um, now the caveat to that is that in the last two games, since Chris vote has been removed from the starting lineup, he he's largely gotten into foul trouble and that particularly comes in the first half. And because of that, his limits have been mitted, limited to, I think it's eight and nine minutes the last two games. So clearly when we talk about this, I want to make sure we have the disclaimer on there that we're aware it's not the majority of minutes of the game anymore, but it was jarring to hear John Brandon specifically say that he brings in Chris vote off the bench first because of the scoring punch that he brings to the team. And the fact that when he is in the game, it, it, he's very clear in that he does want the offense to run through Chris Vote, And it captures perfectly the fact that, to me, John Brandon sees Chris Vote as, as just as a different player with different capabilities than, than nearly everybody else does. And I won't speak for everybody else, but, but it, me and you, right? Like, I don't see the player John Brandon sees when he looks at what Chris Vote can do on the court. I do see someone who is physically imposing. I see someone who has, you know, a remarkably uh, big body, long arms, should be able to, to finish around the rim well. You would think would have be offer better rim protection than he does. But having now a sample size of, of a season and a half, and then I'm sure if you go back and watch the NKU film, it's going to support the same thing. But he's someone who is uh, struggles defensively, can't move his feet well, does not offer great rim protection. And then offensively, his turnover rate is high. And in my opinion, this is more anecdotal, but the offense does seem to stall out when we insist on trying to swing the ball around the perimeter, finding an entry pass for, for vote. Um, I'm not saying he can't finish around the rim. He's really good at it, right? When he does get the ball in his spot, he's very good at finishing around the rim. It's just that getting him in that position at times, it doesn't come very easily to the Bearcats and rarely have we seen it be a sustainably successful approach for the team. So I do find it a bit jarring that that's still how he continues to view Chris Vogt's role on this team, rather than kind of like this hybrid, especially when you pair him with Mamadou, it's just this hybrid, look, it's a two-headed combination at backup center. You guys are each going to play seven to eight minutes a game, and when you're in the game, defend like hell, rebound like hell, run the court, find yourself open at the rim, and when you are, catch the ball and finish it. It's that simple, and that's really the extent of what you should be really focusing on for the team uh, to, to, to function as with him in a, in a much bigger role and to try and force a bigger usage role out of Chris vote. I think it's a losing proposition for the team. 
I think you're going to continue seeing folks frustrated because it just doesn't work and hasn't worked. Um, but we'll see, you know, it's in limited minutes. I think the good news is that he has made the big change in approach. He's now playing Jeremiah Davenport close to 30 minutes a game. Uh, Tari Eason, those guys are all, are now going to get uh, about 30 minutes a game. Like Zach Carvey, we should see his minutes continue trending upwards, probably getting 28, 30 minutes a game. You're building the team around our wings, around our guards and around Tari and Jeremiah. So that does, that does serve us well. I think it's a higher potential team now. Uh, but again, it was just, it was just an interesting tidbit, I thought, from the press conference. And I don't know, maybe not this press is, conference, radio show. Maybe this is the hot take since you're talking about Zach Harvey. Um, the way Zach Harvey is shooting and the way he's becoming quickly becoming a true offense, a burst of offense when he's on the court, he needs to be someone who needs to perk Empom, become a significant contributor uh, on this team as opposed to being just a role player. First off, he's the only one who's actually making his three-point shots. He's shooting 45%, you know, 46 if we want to go ahead and round up. That's not Jeremiah, a, Jeremiah has been making shots up until the last two games, I think. Yeah, but I'm just saying Zach, Zach Harvey, uh, he's 10 for 22 from three, so he's not shooting a lot of them, so there's still a little, a really small sample size. Uh, but he's making his shots. He's coming in. He's being explosive. He's he's taking care of the ball, too. He's He, he turns the ball over less than DeJulius does. Um, so he, he's making good decisions with the basketball. Uh, there, there is a case, I think, to be made that Zach Harvey, you mentioned it, playing 28, 30 minutes, but he should be a guy who's up there, I think, on the, on the in that top four, Keith Williams, Jeremiah Davenport, Tari Eason, and Zach Harvey. Those are the guys that I want to see touching the ball, moving the offense through, and, and really giving their opportunity to, to shine up what they can do because right now they're playing the best ball on the, on the court right now. Absolutely. I think there's, there's probably some people who want to see Zach Harvey moved into the starting lineup, um, swapping him with Micah Adams woods. I am not one of those people. You can tell me if you are hum, but I prefer, I kind of like his, his role right now. I like the idea of Zach Harvey turning into this spark plug off the bench. You know, uh, the, the idealistic um, score off the bench that a team sometimes needs from the guard position. You see NBA lineups employ this type of strategy constantly where you have a guy who can come off the bench, be someone who you feed the ball to. He can, he can create offense on his own. He can make shots. That's exactly what Zach Harvey will be in this team. You know, if I'm putting comparisons to it, he's certainly, I'm not comparing him to these players, but role wise, this is exactly what it is. It's, it's Mamadou. It's a uh, Manu Ginobili. It's uh, what James Harden used to be for the Oklahoma city thunder. It's these spark plugs off the bench um, that come in and just get buckets. You know, Tony Bobbitt was a great example for the Bearcats where he came in six man bench, instant offense off the bench, instant energy. And as Zach Harvey continues to get more comfortable, I think that's the perfect role for him. Now, when it comes to closing lineups and trying to get buckets down the stretch, I think you're right. Like he, it's hard to fathom keeping him off the court, at this point during the most high leverage situations, Zach Harvey's earned those minutes. I love seeing him get more comfortable. And I think it's a great way to kind of segue into, you know, the dream scenarios for the rest of the season. Let's assume that the Bearcats get, you, you asked me if I agreed with you and now you got to give me a chance to sure, probably sure. disagree with sure, you here. Sure. Uh, because I'm going to go back to last year and, and point out that we primarily played five guys like, I want to say there's one game that maybe Trace got seriously sat at the bench for 60 seconds. We were playing guys into the high thirties of minutes. And this is a team right now that at the beginning of the season, we thought had depth and it's kind of coming out that we have zero depth. There's not a lot of offense that actually comes off of the bench. So I get your point in saying, well, Zach Harvey is the only offense that actually comes off the bench. Everyone else who's playing doesn't bring any, but at some point I do think that we should maybe just be, trying to throw the best five guys out on the court and keeping me on there a majority of the time. And then you're bringing in a defensive package to basically kind of stop the bleeding for two minutes while we're giving these guys their, their rest. Uh, but that also hinges on the fact that we need guys like Keith Williams to not get into foul trouble. And that has also proven to be an issue. So I do think John Brandon's options are kind of his, he's kind of playing with one hand tied behind his back in a sense that we can't get our best player, Keith Williams to stay on the court, you know, his percentage of minutes is 67%. Our best player's percentage of minutes in the game is 67%. That is a, that is a, as a huge problem. Uh, well, look at, the minute, look at the minutes if, if distribution have that, against Wichita. Wichita. So you got Tari Eason playing 22 minutes, which is not enough, but you know why that was, it was foul trouble, four fouls. 
Uh, Jeremiah Davenport, 29. Adams Woods, 30. DeJulius, 33. Keith Williams, 25. Again, not enough. Keith Williams hasn't been playing well, but we need it. If, if we're going to be successful this season, Keith Williams is going to have to be on the court and has to be playing well. So any talk, let's just stop with the talk of, of benching Keith Williams or, or dramatically changing his minutes. It's ridiculous. I didn't say that. No, but it, that's that's out there. It's in the ether. It's oh. in the ether. And I'm just saying right now, stop it. If you're do, listening, do you want to this, do wanna win a game? Do you want to win another game this season? Well, do not bench Keith Williams. It's it's it's, it's that simple. If anybody right. wants to say bench Keith Williams, you are clearly saying that this is the NBA and that we should tank in order to get the first draft pick. But this is college basketball. It does not work that way. You cannot bench Keith Williams. And if anything, the issue, the big issue with this team is that we do not have depth. We do not have guys coming off the Mike Saunders. I love him. He's been one of my favorite players because I think he's, he, he has potential to be something special because of how explosive he is, how his speed is quickness, but he doesn't come off the bench and provide any spark on offense. Micah Adams Woods has proven the same thing this year with offense. He's just, he, he hasn't found a shot yet. And hopefully that, that needs to turn around. Mason Madison hasn't played enough. We just haven't seen enough of him to say, you know what? Well, let's bring Mason Madsen in as the sixth man. So right now in a perfect world, if we had some more depth, if we had a couple guys that could step up, 100% I'm saying we're putting Zach Harvey into the lineup and we're putting Mike, Mike Adams-Woods on the bench. The fact of the matter is we don't have that depth and we can't afford to not have, have anybody on the court who can play offense when we have to take the starting four out. Yeah, there are six guys on the team right now that John Brandon can truly trust, in my opinion. And that's and that's if you're counting Micah Adams Woods in that situation. I personally still trust him. I think it's been a rough season. John Brandon alluded to the fact that he lost, you know, 20 pounds in the offseason. Obviously, we can't you can't speculate too much or be definitive in these proclamations, but you kind of put two and two together what he might be dealing with and what he might be recovering from. So keep that in mind. But Tari Eason, Davenport, Shuey. To Julius Williams and Zach Harvey, those are the guys. Like those are the guys that need to be getting a majority of the minutes for the team. I went back one more game. You look at the SMU minutes log. Zach Harvey four of seven, one of three from deep, thirteen points. Another efficient scoring performance. He only got eighteen minutes in that game. That won't be enough. So his minutes going forward have to be much closer, uh, and probably his his baseline now is twenty five minutes a game. Uh, unleash him. Just unleash him. He's talented. He can shoot. He's starting to show scoring prowess. Are there things that he needs to work on? Yes. Does he finish at the rim as well as he should? No. Does he need a left hand? Yes. How does he start developing those things? Keep him in the game. Give him the minutes. Give him the game experience. And the Bearcats will be better for it. And then you you kind of fill in the gaps between Mamadou, Vote, Madsen, and Mikey. Like you just kind of you kind of give those guys spot minutes and see who's bringing it that game. You know, there's going to be some games where if Mamadou is kind of dialed into his best version of himself, he probably should get the majority of the minutes over Chris Vogt. But he certainly has not been a reliable presence for the Bearcats. I'm not going to pretend he is. Um, so when he's clearly out of it, when he's clear, clearly making the rotation mistakes, when he's fouling, his foul rate has the same problem that Chris Vogt does at times. And if that's the case and Chris Vogt's got it rolling and grabbing offensive boards, you know, lean on Vogt that game. But that's... That is all on a game-by-game -game basis. John Brandon just getting a feel for which supporting cast member is, is going to be my guy tonight. And I think that's going to be a game-by-game -game basis. Outside of the top six, it's, it's just completely a wild card for us. Which I think now this is a good transition into dream scenarios because for me, the dream scenario, and I, I know we, we've already, we already know what it is we need to do to get a tournament, which is win the conference tournament. At this point, I don't have any... I'm not holding any faith that that's what that's what's going to happen. So my dream scenario, honestly, is to get some good rotations and play some good basketball. I just want to see this team play some good basketball. I want to see a good stretch. I want to see us beat the teams that we're supposed to beat at the bottom. And I don't know if you guys can hear my dog, but welcome to live podcasting, Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, with the background, it is that you can't actually see him back there. So it's just you reaching into an abyss to mess with your dog. I know mine's floating around back here somewhere. Fortunately, being a good boy. He's sitting outside the room going, and I know my, my wife is sleeping. So she's very excited to have him whining back there. Well, you're lucky. Um, you can't really, you can't really hear him. So don't worry about it too much. Well, back, you know, back to that dream scenario. So my dream scenario is to see a good stretch of basketball where we're beating the teams we're supposed to beat. Like if we would have played the last two games, I expect us to beat ECU. I expect us to beat Tulane and I expect us to beat Temple. 
that's just an expectation that I have. I think this team is too talented to be bottom of the bottom of the conference. And I don't, I don't, I don't, ex- my dream scenario is to not finish bottom of the conference. I want to finish, you know, for me, fifth, sixth, even pushing our way up into fourth would be a dream scenario in this particular case. Then I'm sitting there thinking, all right, maybe we have a shot at making a run in the tournament for that to happen. I think we're going to need to see Mason Madison get some more minutes because he's going to, he's, he's not going to play a large role in this team, but he's going to play. I think he's going to be a role player at some point. Yeah. And when I, when I'm talking dream scenario, I'm not, I'm trying to detach how I feel about this season from the record as much as I can, because the, the record's not, it's bad now. And do I see it getting good? No. So I'm trying to figure out what, what am I looking for the rest of the season where I, we, we, we somehow go into the American athletic conference tournament and I'm thinking, Hey, like we, we figured some things out. Here's, you know, such and such players doing this and these rotations are playing. And so I'm trying to say from a dream scenario standpoint, uh, from a, what am I looking for the rest of the season? And I think for me, if I'm listing out a few things that are a big deal, first and foremost, you want to see Brandon figure out the identity of the team, right? Take, take the best players and lean into a style of basketball uh, that, sh- that, that plays and, and caters to their strengths. So lean on the wings, lean on the guards, continue playing those six players we just listed, uh, the key six, play them a majority of the minutes. And, you know, it doesn't sound like he's going to go in this direction, but from a, from a bench standpoint, like mix and match lineups. So you never have to run the offense through a Mamadou Diara or a Chris vote. Like we should, we actually never have to do that because you have Keith Williams Zach Harvey, their minutes can largely be staggered to Julius. The ball is in his hands when he's on the court. He should be facilitating and initiating the offense, not Chris vote. Um, so there's, and then Tari Eason, like that's another guy I'd rather see us, you know, enabling his growth as a player the rest of the season. He's someone who's like every we, we're banking our entire future, basically on Tari Eason at this point, his growth and development are, are the first first thing we're keeping an eye on the rest of the season. How is he growing? How is he developing? Is he becoming the defensive wrecking ball that we all think he is? It looks to, it looks to be the case on that end. Is he getting better at finishing around the rim? Is he starting to knock down an outside shot at a higher clip right now? Those are the biggest questions about him. The rest of the season. Those are the things I want to, I want to see. Can Mason Madsen hang? You alluded to it. Can he play five to 10 minutes a game and, and prove himself you know, an American athletic conference type player or a high level D one player. Those are the questions we need to start getting answered. And uh, that's kind of how I'm looking at the rest of the season. Not so much. I mean, it's sad, like it, just being realistic, you you have to sort of detach the, the results of the rest of the season from only wins and losses and more to player development and finding an actual identity and style of play that suits the team. And I think if we do those things, more wins will come. But right now, there's just there's no true identity. We haven't fixed the problems and foul trouble and turnovers, and and we just need to see those things addressed in order to actually move forward. I think that's well said because I guess that's where I was kind of trying to get at. Like we know what we need to do, so let's stop talking about it. You know, at yep. this point, here's what I want to see, it, because if we're doing these things, we will win some games because these are this is a talented group of players. So if we do get to see a situation where we get to see Saunders and Mason play a little more, you know, I'm not saying give, you know, give them 20 minutes a game, but, you know, get them up into the, you know, 10, 15 minutes a game just so they can get used to the college level, this level. Cause at this point we got my guy, we, at some point we may be talking about next season already. And if that's the case, I know exactly what I want to see. I want to see our freshmen get game experience to be, able to pull off Jeremiah Davenport type leaps in growth for next season. For sure. For sure. And it, you know, that comes in playing time. It comes in off court development. And right now it's tough because I know that they haven't been practicing during this layoff. So the first thing I have to yeah, sort of temper no my expectations around is when they get back on the court, we're not seeing a layoff that will lead to better basketball. It's sort of like, what does it look like after not being able to practice for 10 to 14 days? You know, that's, it's brutal. It's, it's a tough break. And, and we kind of have to keep that in perspective for the rest of the year. Um, as John Brandon has said in the past, and I'm not going to be able to quote him verbatim, but he said things along the lines of divorce yourself from the results, live in the process, live in the details. 
And that's really what it is, is all about for this team. The rest of the season is living in the details, embracing the process. I'm, I'm impressed. Right. I'm impressed for you being able to, to, to remember that quote from like, how long ago was that? Well, I think it was honest, about a month ago now. I'll be honest at my most frustrated during a five game losing streak. I started uh, rewatching some of the initial press conferences and post game press conferences just to see how he was talking. What he, th- what he said he was bringing to the table um, and whether, how that was matching up with what we were seeing on the court. Uh, a lot of that was just for me personally. It was a coping mechanism. I have coped. I have since moved on, and I'm back at a more stable place mentally with the team. Um, these are just these are just the things I remember now. Perfect. Well, I, I feel like a, a natural transition here. So I, I want to throw one thing out out that I, I did notice on I think Twitter either. I guess it was last week at this point. It all blends together. COVID just makes the weeks blend together. I want to point out how easy it is to start a rumor. <laughs> There was a rumor that flew around Twitter that had everybody's head spinning for hopefully only about 20 minutes when they until they realized with a little bit of Google, a little bit of research, that this rumor was started by one CBS analyst. I can even call them an analyst, but they were they were linking Coach Luke Fickle's name in several NFL circles to the Eagles head coaching job and that it would potentially be a good fit. Uh, here we are four days later and actually i think i sent you the the article posted probably five five hours before that comment was even made talking about all the people that the eagles are interviewing for head coach and not one of them was a college head coach um so here's how easy it is to start a rumor you heard it first from cincy slangen right i heard that luke fickle was attached to the lions job maybe he, was it the chargers too Oh no, they already they already hired their coach. But I, I just heard that. I heard that. Is it is that true? We should spread that. Well, that goes back to a certain someone uh, using lines like many people have said. Uh, many many people have said that Luke Fickle is a hot name in coaching circles in the NFL, and uh, you know seems like a perfect fit for the Eagles. The the hilarious reading of that tweet. So I I am one of those people who read that. Like whoa, Luke Fickle, NFL circles, Eagles. That would be a disaster because it would, it would be be disastrous. Like it's terrifying to think of losing Luke fickle that late in the process and then losing him uh, to the NFL, because that is a situation where there's not much the Bearcats can do to fend off Luke fickle departing for the NFL. Like it's, we've already, we've sort of crossed the bridge of, well, Luke fickle's looking for a very particular division one college football job. If he is ever to leave the Cincinnati Bearcats. And that's great. The NFL was not on my radar at all. But when you reread the tweet, the way it was phrased, it Luke Fickle wasn't actually it did there was no clear evidence he was interviewing or or doing much of anything with the NFL other than he was a hot name who many people thought was a good fit potentially for the Eagles. So just funny how it read. It definitely read like the kind of thing that's floated out there by it read like clickbait. A representative it, read, or an agent. it read like clickbait. You know, click click on this because we're going to say something outrageous. And it's not outrageous that Luke Fickle would be considered for NFL jobs. That's not what I'm saying. It's just all you had to do to know that Luke Fickle wasn't isn't being considered for the Eagles head coaching job is to go to the inquired.com with an I, go to their sports section and just look at anything related to the Eagles. Like it's clear. Plus, I don't know if anybody knows how ruthless Eagles fans are. Oh my God, I can only imagine the hate that would flow from this city if they hired uh, a, a college head football coach that's not from, you know, LSU, uh, Nixon. This, this city's just irrational. You know, Did where they fill I live. their job? Have they hired anybody? They haven't hired anybody yet. They're, they still have more. They're just interviewing like crazy, but they're also looking for an offensive minded person. That's one of the main things that they're, the first headline up there says looking for offensive minded you know, football coaches with all the pieces that the Eagles have. That's not Luke Fickle. He's a defensive minded coach. He was a defensive. That's, that's the side of the ball that he pl- that he, yeah, that he grew up on. But so, Luke Fickle is a culture builder. He's just a he leader. He's a culture builder, but it's also different in the NFL. And like I said, I'm not saying Luke Fickle couldn't do it. I was just like, I was appalled by just like the quick baitiness of that tweet. And then when I did my research, realizing that no one else had that same sentiment. Good. I'm glad that everybody else in the world could hold off. Um, but here's one thing I will say. The last thing I'll say about it. 
if it's true or if it had been true or that is terrifying but there's a part of me that just senses that the hoopla around luke fickle has died down we didn't hear any of these head coaching positions that have come up during for college football saying that Luke Fickle's our guy, we're going after him. I am curious if basically he's told his agent to just say, not interested, unless it's these three jobs. Right. I think that that's the case, right? I think that he is very particular in the job it would take for him at the college level, the job it would take to leave the Cincinnati Bearcats, which is great news for us. Um, and, but there are, you, we know the schools, you know, I, I know the, the primary one that I would be my, my, now, yeah, if you say Ryan rep, Day is linked, Ryan Day is linked Ryan to the NFL if, job. Like if you do the, the wild connections of Ryan Day linked to the Eagles and therefore the Ohio state job opens up, I don't know if, if he gets it or not, but I know he's high on their list and that would be an opportunity that, uh, he, he most certainly would not pass up. It's his alma mater. He's, he has experience at the university and it is one of the top three programs in all of college football. So, but um, we also know that's nothing to be scared of though, because we already know where we're going next at this point in time to search for a head coach. We're going right. up to, we're going to South Bend, Indiana, straight, straight back to calling South Bend, coaching wars, <laughs> calling, calling up Marcus Freeman. Like, hey man. Yep. Uh, that's that's a reality that is the truth right now until he gets an offer to coach a big school lsu usc name it we're still on the radar for for attracting coaches like that but at the same time we are a hotbed for coaches every coach that has come through here except for uh hopefully what becomes a failed senator um and i guess uh, he probably to to an extent he's he's very much on track for failing i mean there are some very overt uh, I'm, not, I'm, not tr- I'm, not try- I'm not trying to get into that that too much but i'm just I, i'm also more curious do we can you consider butch jones like can we can we visit that for a second like butch jones left central michigan came to the holy grail which is the university of cincinnati didn't like the grass on this yeah. side of the fence decided to go to tennessee where he completely just and utterly flops as a head coach gets picked up by alabama becomes an offensive or whatever coordinator I guess pretty well. Not an offensive coordinator. What, what is was he? he? What is his job at Alabama? I don't remember. But either way, now he's at Arkansas State in the Sun Belt Conference as the head coach uh, of that football team. Guys, and any other head coaches who listen to this great, amazing podcast, it's not always in your best interest to leave your your, your group of five school because you could end up at Arkansas State University. Wow, that was dark. And and honestly, the the truth you hit on though is that more coaches should be like Luke Fickle, where it's not you can't always you can capture lightning in a bottle at a particular university. Like there is something special that has happened in the pairing between the University of Cincinnati and Luke Fickle. And it's not a guarantee that Luke Fickle is going to find that same level of chemistry and success and energy and vibes at any other university. If he goes to Michigan state, it may not look the same. If he goes to Ohio state, it may not look the same. It's certainly not going to be the same. If you go to an NFL team, there are times that you find that perfect role, that perfect position and going to a different role just for the money or just for the prestige, you know, that's you're, you're, ch- you're chasing diminishing returns at that point. Like the money isn't worth it. You're losing that something special. He has a great, great, great fit right now with Cincinnati. It seems like he truly appreciates it, but frankly, that type of self-awareness and honesty and introspection that Luke Fickle seems to have just seems completely lost on almost everybody else in the college football and frankly, basketball landscape as well. Well said. Well, look, we were kind of getting, we're coming up to that magical hour mark that I know we try and keep the podcast to let's just hit quickly and and, and throw a shout out to um, our beloved athletic director, John Cunningham, he really, he, he responded to the, the, I guess the, the slight criticisms coming out. I mean, we, we did, we frankly, we criticized him for, in my opinion, failing to stand up for the university of Cincinnati and being a public figure and advocate uh, at a time of need, which was when the college football playoff rankings were, were completely 
and ludicrously, uh, ludicrously, you know, lowering the Bearcats in the standings. He missed his opportunity there. He did not rise to the occasion, but he has had a media tour of sorts. He had a good interview with Dan Horde. Um, he did a, a special piece with Justin Williams of the athletic that you can find there. Go check it out. Justin always does a good job. Quick shout out of the year sports yeah. of the year. Quick shout out to Justin for sports writer of the year in the state of Ohio, Dan Horde sports broadcaster of the year. Um, shout out to Justin Williams, Dan Horde. Congratulations boys. Dan, Dan Horde. will he's, he's like the Marty Brenneman of Bearcats. Or yeah, Marty I mean, Brenneman is the Dan he would, he would never accept that praise, but <laughs> the truth is he is. He means a lot. Like it, I expect and need that comfort of Dan Horde's voice on, on Bearcats broadcast. So uh, shout out to the both of them. But I was going to say, you know, this media tour happens. It seems to be in direct response to some criticisms happening. I'm not, not I'm not saying uh, from us, like I'm, I don't, I don't have that sort of ego about this whole thing, but there were a lot of folks noticing that he was, frankly, uh, somewhat vacant in terms of the public eye. And so he was able to get out in front of these, um, you know, these pieces and try and just kind of do a recap of where, what he saw the first year on the job for the Bearcats. Um, you know, I would say if you, the theme for me, at least Amar, and you can talk about what you found interesting. I think first and foremost, the message he wanted to get out was that there are tough times financially and that this year in terms of managing COVID, managing no attendance, managing uh, an inability to connect and have gatherings with fans and donors. Um, all This whole year seemed to revolve around mitigating financial disaster. Is that your first takeaway? I think that's, that's in part the angle that they definitely took from the PR response. And I'm not going to take that away from them because it, there is no doubt in my mind that this is a challenging year from a, a financial perspective for the university. Um, it has to be, you you have no fans in the stands. You have no revenue except, you know, whatever TV contracts that you have advertising sponsors, stuff like that. Uh, probably very hard to fundraise at this point, especially when we were doing a, a coaching negotiation, um, raise that included nothing but donor, uh, donor paid, uh, the donor paid salaries. Is that the right way to put it? Uh, so, I mean, I think that's one way to look at it. One thing that, that does strike me though, is, you know, when we're talking about a learning curve for a new athletic director and obviously he was hired, you know, pre, you know, pre COVID. So we're not going to get into the, well, was he the right man for this job? But in general, where we are as a university, we have a very slim margin over the next three years, four years, while conference realignment probably rears its, its ugly head again, the margin is thin for error. It's not there. So if he is learning on the job, this is a great step forward, but I still think that, you know, he needs to get, he needs to get out there more when we have the opportunity to, um, you know, he missed some golden opportunities to, to put the best foot of the university first in terms of, of you know, a bowl game and taking pictures with the players on the field uh you know simple stuff so if it's a learning curve we just need to see it we need to see what he's learning in action and we we need to see him put that to the test i get it that everything was you know revolving around you know quote unquote the finance of the of the department um but this this isn't a role this is the university of cincinnati athletic department this is not this is a major college athletic department you know this isn't I guess I'm having a hard time actually trying to express this in words because we've been going through this whole power five group of five, you know, inferior schools and, and whatnot in the university of Cincinnati those is major college athletics that has a multi-million dollar budget and has, you know, a brand that is in a sense national. And the fact that we have, you know, alumni all across the globe, all across the country and it doesn't, even in normal times, there's, there's really a small margin of error. This is one of the most highly visible, this should be the most visible position inside the athletic department outside your head coaches. And this is where it's not Luke Fickle's job to go thump, thump his chest about, oh, we're the best team we deserve to be it. His job should be preparing for the next game, preparing for the next game. Who's next? Bill Belichick, who's next? This should be the president of the Patriots, Robert Kraft coming out saying Bill Belichick's best coach in the history of the world. Don't worry about Bill Belichick, right? That's that's what that's what John Cunningham should be trumpeting his coaches, trumpeting the university, pushing us forward. So if that's a lesson he learned, hopefully we get to see it. 
Well said. You know, I think that there are some realities of Bearcats athletics that do present some financial challenges. And I think that's at least what Justin was trying to communicate in his article, you know, pointing out that uh, the University of Cincinnati subsidizes its athletic department just shy of 30 million each year. And rough, that's roughly 40% of its annual budget. Um, I don't really have context for that, how it, how it compares to other Power 5 peers necessarily. But I imagine that less subsidies are needed at, at bigger universities. And so maybe that is a challenge uh, that Cunningham and, and his staff are facing. You know, I think they kind of make it clear that he felt he was confident they've done a good job stemming the tide of the losses, mitigating them, um, and that he felt that it wasn't as bad as what you saw at other universities across the country. So that's good to hear. You know, he's not, I think the goal it sounds like is to make this a one year loss and not necessarily carry over into the second year. You know, I hope to some extent though, he's, he's thinking proactively about that. And the fact that, you know, COVID isn't just going to magically snap your fingers, go away. There's going to be challenges for a lot of 2021 as well. And it's up to him to be creative about, not only overcoming those financially, but, you know, he, he specifically in this article, and I want to read it, it, you know, Justin specifically addresses the topic of John Cunningham not being very vocal and present when it came to the football team and how that was frustrating some of the fan base. Um, let, let me read a part of that article um, just to kind of get your, get your take on it. And let's see. So Justin says, That separation, and he's talking about the separation between Cunningham and his ability to engage with the fan base because of COVID. That separation has been felt among the fan base as well, collectively and individually. Cunningham is a quiet, understated manner, in many ways the polar opposite of his predecessor, Bone. It's required an an adjustment for some uh, of the more hands-on boosters, even if only temporarily, and had some fans clamoring for Cunningham to mount a louder public defense of the college football team's credentials for the college football playoff. And then he says, those things are part of the learning curve for a new athletic director who acknowledged there have been plenty of humbling moments. Quote, this is from Cunningham. The only way to learn is to go through tough stretches, he said. My growth has been exponential this year, and a lot of it is from going through mistakes and missteps along the way. So to me, that reads like a concession from John Cunningham, that if he's going to kind of rehash that moment in his head, take a, take a look inside at how he handled it. To me, that's an acknowledgement that he felt he came up short, that it's an opportunity for growth. Um, and it, that comes with a first-time athletic director, right? And that's why many might have been questioning that hire in the first place. Was, is, was he ready for the, the task of being a commissioner of a program that does have its financial restrictions. It doesn't necessarily have the most resources in the world, but it competes at the highest levels. And it has some of it has teams that are historically uh, expecting greatness in their programs. So it, you know, it, it's not, this is not your normal G five mid major program, right? It's not that this is major college athletics program uh, and expects to have an athletic director defending it as such. He came up short there. It seems like he understands that he expects to probably move. I expect him to move forward in a different capacity later, but look, it's, it's not an excuse to be unable to interact with your fan base. Like he should be getting creative with that. Everybody else is overcoming that across the United States. We all know what zoom is. There's fun ways to engage your community in a responsible way during the COVID-19 pandemic. And speaking of zoom, uh, just kidding. We are not sponsored by zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Anything yeah, else, Summer? You know, it's not the most exciting thing to talk about. I thought it was interesting, though. Like, it, as soon as it's, it is you spent a couple of weeks here, you know, questioning his presence or lack lack thereof, and and shortly thereafter, you get a few, you get a media tour, you get the uh, well, look, the equivalent of the ESPN car wash. We 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 started questioning this. This question started happening at the end of basically early on in his tenure when the first goal stated is to get Luke Fickle signed to an extension, which. You know, apparently they had all the details. I think they said done some somewhere around March, April, May, but they didn't unveil them till August because of a, of a of an optic. But all of a sudden, like you're you're getting this clamoring from the people who care about it, your fans. You know, why 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 all the heavy handed tactics to keep something like that a secret when in fact it is paid for by donors. 
you know that that's a that's an area where it's like that's a simple it was a layup it's a it's a layup from a pr perspective good news your beloved coach is signed to a contract extension we know you're clamoring for sports after this tournament was just canceled in march here's some good news bearcat fans the donors of the school have stepped up to retain our coach but i don't think we need to harp on it too much because time will tell whether or not the lessons were actually learned um, like you said this just sounds like a concession speech we're still waiting on a, a really big one to, to come through for his, us, but his tenure is not going to be defined by these moments, right? Like they might've been frustrating. I might, I might think that he should have done a better job um, as a leader of the athletic department during this time, but regardless, like his tenure is likely not going to be defined by this. It's likely going no. to be defined to uh, with regard to his ability to continue hanging on to Luke fickle uh, to helping the basketball team find its footing again but also the most, the biggest elephant in the room, the the king elephant, the biggest elephant, is uh, conference realignment. And if that happens, where does UC end up? And if he can figure, if he can solve that riddle, if he can get us to a bigger conference, if he can find our way to the Big Twelve or the ACC, um, all will be forgiven. I promise you that. All right, now let's, get Bear, now let's get Bearcat Bearcat Network. The Bearcat Network. Just uh, you know, let's, let's approach Netflix about the streaming. <laughs> every Bearcat game on Netflix. That would be fun. And then you can switch right over to Bridgerton right after it. <laughs> Hummer's yeah. new passion. Anyway, uh, and that pun, pun way intended there. Hummer, I'm going to uh, leave it there, buddy. We will sign off here probably for the rest of the week since there's uh, no for sure games on the docket at this point. But any, any last words of wisdom? It's actually, uh, what are we going to do if we don't play again this week? Is it, are we just going to, we're going to have to do a, another, we're going to bring Corey, Corey stories back. We're going to, uh, <laughs> maybe Corey stories. Maybe we'll find a special guest for next week. If we have no games this week, maybe we'll, we'll, just talk, maybe we'll just do, maybe we'll just do a wildcard episode. We'll just talk about whatever we want. Maybe if that you're right, maybe we'll just mean you will be complete narcissist and talk about anything that we want to talk about. Like the crown, <laughs> my new, uh, my new hobby. Anyway, Hummer, let's leave it there, buddy. I will talk to you later this week. Cheers. Cheers. Next week, Boomer sings Rent. <laughs>